He played carol gun. His rating was higher. But from move seventeen, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife, and my almighty queen a beast on each six. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Chahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com. And that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast for your shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Welcome back to Ladies Night, where I have a very special guest for you tonight, Carla Heredia Serrano. Carla is a women's grandmaster from Ecuador, and she now lives in California. She's a many-time member of the Ecuadorian Olympic team, and she recently graduated from Texas Tech University with a master's in sports management and a bachelor's in psychology. Carla works with the Berkeley Chess School on many projects, including the organization and marketing of an incredible event that happened a few months ago, the Berkeley Summer IM Norm Tournament. Now, this was a women's event designed to offer IM norms. Those are regular IM norms for both women and men, but only women playing in the event. It was won by Grandmaster Irina Crush, and Carla wrote about that event for American Chess Magazine, as well as for Chess Life Online, and I'll put that link in the show notes. Carla is also teaching right now in a Title I school in the Berkeley area to an all-girls chess club, and that's part of one of 11 grants that the U.S. Chess has partnered with the St. Louis Chess Club due to a generous gift to promote girls and women's chess all around the country. I'm a huge fan of Carla's engaging style and personality, both online and in person, and really glad that she made time tonight. Welcome to Ladies Night, Carla. Yeah, thank you so much, Jennifer. Such a pleasure to be in your podcast and share with your audience. Yeah, I've been really thinking of you ever since I started this podcast because you seem to be very gifted with marketing and social media. By the way, her Twitter handle is at Eredia Carla, and you often have really great threads about tournaments that are going on. Is this something that you studied in school or did it just kind of come naturally to you? Well, uh, I went, as you mentioned, to Texas Tech with a scholarship and I uh, did my four-year degree in psychology. But then I was always interested in sports psychology and then I had to choose uh, to do the master's degree. And I always thought, you know, that chess, which I love, deserved more attention and why there is no many companies or sponsoring chess uh, compared to, you know, other sports. Like, like, as you have mentioned before, you know, poker, I think is a great example of what chess could do in a near future. So I studied sports management because I wanted, like, you know, to learn more. At the same time, I just like to communicate with people on social media and especially on Twitter because uh, it's a way for me to keep in touch, especially with Ecuador, 
So I really like to read and also to publish things about chess, but also politics and everything that I like. <laughs> yeah, and what makes a good tweet? Like when you do threads about, for instance, the Karen's Cup or the Berkeley IM tournament, it always seems like you pack a lot of information into a small space, which I feel like is so wonderful. It's one of the reasons I admire your online presence because you're valuing people's time. It's like small amount of space, most amount of information. Uh, any tips for people to be more efficient and catchy in their own online media presence? Well, for Twitter, as you mentioned, you know, I think it's only 140, 108 uh, characters. So you have to be precise and exciting. Uh, I like to research, like, for example, for the caring scope, I had age, country, um, rating, uh, something interesting about the person. But I like to use, a, I think, different from traditional journalists in Twitter. If you see the accounts of the NBA or soccer, uh, it's allowed to use emojis. And that grabs a lot your attention. And I think people are encouraged to use emojis on Twitter, although it sounds weird because it doesn't look as professional. But digital, let's say, journalists or, or people who like to tweet, uh, if you see the accounts of, of athletes or or even teams, professional teams in soccer, they use it. And then the most important is to do your homework and find something interesting about the person or the tournament and condense the information over there. And if you have friends, you can tag your friends to make them aware and hopefully they give you a retweet as you give a lot to me. <laughs> Yeah, at all of our accounts, um, at US Chess and at US Chess Women. That's a little bit about your time at Texas Tech. Did you um, really enjoy the academic portion of it? And what was your most favorite class? Because we usually talk so much about the chess programs at these schools, but I want to hear more about your academic experience because you seem, you know, so, so, so smart. Well, um, contrary to, you know, my co in my country, we don't have like a, sports uh, scholarships here in the U.S. Sports in general is huge. And that was the main reason that I came to the U.S. because uh, Texas Tech gave me a chance to keep playing chess because they were giving me training with Alex Onishuk. But at the same time, they were also giving me a couple or three maybe tournaments per year, the Pan Ams and a couple more important also important tournaments. So that was the main reason. But uh, it was it was such a challenge because as the people can hear, I am not, I can, of course I can speak English, but it takes time. I have an accent. It's not easy, but I did it and I, I got into the honors college and actually I write better than I speak, I think. It took me so much time sometimes to do homeworks compared to my peers because, of course, I, I'm not used to writing English or to researching English, but I did it. And uh, everything what you want to do, even if it looks difficult as me, like me, it, sound, it sounded amazing to have the chance to study English. And it took me a lot of time and I did it. And one of my favorite class uh, was astronomy. <laughs> And two reasons, because before I came to the U.S., I knew little about 
the universe itself and how amazing it is. And second, because I was in an honor, honors class in astronomy, so I was with all the smart kids <laughs> or the kids that, you know, they are, they are more interested in academics. And the first exam, I was the worst exam in the class by, by far. And then I feel so guilty uh, because it was hard for me, the English, but also I was um, home homeschool in in, 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 in in Ecuador. So I didn't have too much about physics or chemistry or a background to understand what the professor in astronomy was saying. But then in the second exam, I studied a lot with a peer and also went to the office hours of the professor. And I managed to be the best uh, uh, grade in the class in the second exam. And I think that is a valuable lesson for me because I discovered that when I put the right amount of time and energy and search for resources as a, you know, find a friend to study or uh, ask more questions to the professor, I, I was able to understand, to enjoy and to manage such a challenging class. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, also, you've written a lot about the chess program at Texas Tech University and the uh, grandmaster coach there, Alexander Onashuk, just such a wonderful guy, Hall of Famer. Um, he said that you always do better when you're up against a stronger opponent in chess and that he spoke very highly of your talent as a chess player and also as a student. Um, what was it like to work with him and what was the most important thing that he taught you? Well, Alexis, I think everybody ha that has been in Texas Tech is very grateful with the program and with him. Uh, he loves chess, but at the same time, he's a funny person, but very serious at work. And he he really enjoys to work with people that want to succeed. And uh, for me, it was such an opportunity to have lessons with someone who has been U.S. champion, uh, he has won a medal in Olympias, but also a second of Karpov, etc. Uh, what I most admire of coach probably is how he manages to balance chess, uh, work and family. I think not all people are able to do it. And he has such a happy family with his wife, Olga, and he has three kids and he's still competing and being a good teacher. I think uh, life is very challenging. Everybody wants to succeed and you need to work hard at school or at your job. And sometimes we forget about the important persons in our life as family. And I think he's an example of how, how to balance that. And I try to do the same in my life. And every time I can share or call my mom or, or share a moment with them when I visit them. That's wonderful. That is a really great lesson. I wasn't expecting you to say that, which is which is really cool because, I mean, that's kind of what you want in an interview. I just think that when somebody asks, like, what you learn from this chess player, usually tell you expect them to say, like, well, how to play working games better or like the London system or, of course, an Alexander Onishuk, like something with a double king pawn, right? Um, how to beat the Nimzo Indian or the Grunfeld. But no, you went straight to family. I love it because that's that's not something that everybody knows about him. I think from him, like in chess terms, there is still a lot of things I need to improve. But with him, I learned like he, I always try, you know, to maybe push too much in a game. And he told me like first, you know, to equalize and to try to be more objective in my games and 
take smarter decisions at the board. He's he's really good at at that. You have a lot of strong um, female chess players and ambassadors at Texas Tech University, actually, right? I mean, you mentioned um, Alex's wife, Olga. She's also involved in the chess program at Texas Tech, right? And then you have a lot of female players. You actually had an all-female team, right? Yes, and uh, Texas Tech was one of the few universities who had in the Pan Ams a chess team. And I think... uh, from the you know from the top universities at Webster, UTD, Rio Grande, I think right now is is the only one university uh, who has a uh, all women's chess team. And I think in, in that Alex is very clear. You know every every team of course has the right to spend their budget as they want. Uh, Alex not only has like a, a strong A team, but also he has a a program that involves women and minorities and it's about inclusion in the university we belong to the i think to the inclusion uh, department so i i find that important because um it's obvious that he could spend maybe more money in bringing more grandmasters one or two but instead of that he's allocating scholarships uh, for women and i'm very happy that we still have a women's chess team and without a doubt uh, I was very pleased to to compete with my teammates with Claudia and other girls and you know to bring experience and to be able to not only to to say women empowerment is important but but also be part of something. Yeah Claudia Munoz is actually a member of the U.S. Chess Women's Committee and She's also very excited about some recent developments in college chess. I find that fascinating that chess is housed within the diversity, equity, and inclusion program at Texas yes. Tech. I just you you just mentioned that, and I also just read that in this wonderful article about you in Texas Tech Today, which I'll also include in the show notes. But that's really kind of fascinating. I think that goes to show chess's power to be a vehicle for people of all different backgrounds to be included. Um, is that why it, it's in that division? Um, I, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, I think it's, it's important that we don't only belong to to the to this division, but we are also are doing stuff for that. So I think uh, Alex can explain better, but we have a, a women's chess team. Scholarships also go to a different uh, minorities including like uh, people from different backgrounds, socioeconomic, uh, race, people from different parts of the world. So I think it's very cool to belong to such a great family with different uh, views, different backgrounds. And uh, I have learned a lot from all of them. So fascinating. I love that. But um, moving on to your current gig, which is also at a place that is a chess mecca, the Berkeley Chess School, run by and found by um, Elizabeth Shaughnessy, is a great nonprofit. They're doing fantastic things for many years. And recently you joined their team as a coach and you're also doing marketing for them as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now? Well, I came here to California in April and I was very happy to see that uh, California is excellent 
to work and at the same time to play chess. For the people that are thinking moving to California, here is great. I love the weather and I love chess. Like here in the U.S., for example, in California, you can play a federated game on Tuesdays at the Mechanics in San Francisco and then play another, another tournament on Friday's federated game in Berkeley. That's very unique. I don't know if that exists in other parts of the U.S. And also, in between, there are rapid tournaments, G45 tournaments on the weekends. So here in California, or especially where I live, I have been uh, working and playing a lot in the mechanics in San Francisco and in Berkeley. I started the Berkeley Chess School around April, and I was teaching schools. And then Elizabeth was very kind and she knew I had a, a master's degree in sports management. So she wanted me to um, to try to engage more with the audience that follows uh, Berkeley Chess School on social media. Also that the community, chess community in general from the U.S. know more about the excellent work that they have been already doing. For so many years, I think Berkeley Chess School has like 35 years. Elizabeth Shaughnessy has 82 years old. She still plays chess every Friday. She has worked most of her life in programs to teach chess, but not also that. You know, we have different programs in schools. We have also tournaments, I am norm tournaments. We have done it before, and now we did it, as you mentioned, the only woman I am norm. So here in Berkeley is happening a lot of things. And I'm very grateful that she gave me the chance uh, to do the two things that I like, which are social media and uh, marketing, and also to be able to teach in chess. For example, on Sundays, I teach two groups, the bishops, which is like, it's a co-ed chess group uh, with kids from nine years old to 14 years old. And after that, we have uh, the queens, which is, I think such a great initiative to have a group for girls to play, to come here, to have a sisterhood. And then during the week, I also uh, teach chess. Uh, Right now I'm teaching at Hamilton School, uh, but I also have uh, taught before two different schools. Great. And you're also teaching a a girls club, right? As I mentioned in the introduction. I'm helping uh, to teach in a girls club in school. And, you know, I'm very happy to, you know, my full week is about chess. (laughs) How is that school going? Are the girls um, beginners or do some of them already know the rules? Well, here in in the Berkeley chess schools, in the different programs they have, there is a lot of variety of skills. Uh, I have been teaching to girls that they are between, they know the rules but they are learning opening principles and also learning uh, more than that, learning how to, you know, uh, be better at the game in a strategy. We also work on tactics, but I also like to take, you know, some minutes of the class to talk about the same way I talk about Magnus Carlsen or Kasparov to talk about Judith Polgar or Vera Menchik or Jennifer Shahade or Irina Kroosh and to give a space for, for know about these people that has create great games, but at the same time to follow different role models, which could be, you know, a man and also women. And that's, that's one, of, one of the things like I was very excited when I first met, met you because I had a friend who gave me many years ago your book. And I think 
that was the first time I saw like a chess book dedicated only about women. Yeah, you mean chess pitch, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I I also think that teaching about these top women players is important for men as well. And particularly when you get stories like Sonia Graf and Vera Menchik that tie in with the history of our world, it's just so fascinating. I mean, I think that would be one of the the top ones I would teach in a school program, especially like something that was in school so that you could show this interplay of history and chess. And I think kids enjoy it in general to know a history about chess. I also in the in the summer had like a trivia challenge and I was asking in the same way I asked like where was Kasparov born? I was asking also like who is the world female chess champion and if they if they knew it, great, they got points. But if they didn't uh, know it, you know, they learned it. So chess trivia is one of my favorite things to do in class. What do you think is the, the number one thing that would help more girls and women start playing chess? I think that the most important thing in America is already happening to have role models. And I think the U.S. is very unique because here you have players that are you know from different levels from Irina Croce to uh, you to you know to Annie Wang to Sabina Foisor different players that in their own way they are living through chess playing teaching or doing other chess related activities and in that way I think people not only see chess as a sport or as a hobby but also in a future to to be able maybe to to have an opportunity to go to universities in school in, for scholarships or to make a living out of uh, teaching in chess, which is uh, easier than to be a, a top player. And this is unique in America, like in, in the whole continent, to be able to be dedicated to chess. Role models is important. Then all the activities you are doing uh, with different peers, as as Maureen, Carol etc., uh, having a space for girls during the tournaments, not only, you know, having in social media a hashtag or a nice tweet, but also uh, doing stuff. And I think that 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 is great. And uh, I haven't seen such ideas in South America. And I'm very grateful to be living in the U.S. I'm very excited to be learning as well, because many of the things I'm seeing here, I hope one day I can replicate uh, in my country. In Ecuador, right. It does seem that the growth of women in chess coincides with the rise of more girls in women's tournaments. Now, in America, girls often play both, both mixed tournaments and women's tournaments. But I have to say, um, getting more involved in girls and women's empowerment in chess in the last few years has changed my perspective a little bit. Like before, even in chess pitch, I think I wrote something about, you know, women's tournaments as like a necessary evil. I really don't believe in that language anymore. Like I don't like the word, any negative words about women's tournaments. Cause I think that like some people might just enjoy them more. And I don't think there's really a reason to judge that. So I've, I've really um, changed my view of them. I, I used to have mixed feelings and now I have very um, positive feelings towards them. Uh, what are your thoughts and do you see any 
issues with being too many women's tournaments or do you think the more the better? I think in in the US it's not like a lot. I, I don't know. We we should count them. But I think there are positive because one should keep in mind that not every girl uh, that who is playing women's chess tournament wants a FIDE title or wants to become the best US female player. Some of the women who are playing, they are doing because they enjoy the experience to after a game analyze with another a peer, to be able, you know, to go with their friends. So there are many reasons why people play in chess in general. And uh, I think uh, to take away those tournaments will mean that some girls or women maybe will not, not go. I think also that we should promote that these women also participate in, in open tournaments. But for example, for me, I participate in both. <laughs> so I have, I am very happy to be able to play in women tournament, but also in open tournaments and uh, to travel with my friends and to make new friends, either they are men or women. And I think you're right. I think uh, it's a positive experience. And, but I think at the same time, that uh, is true. Like if a woman wants to improve, she should uh, play in both. <laughs> yeah. Or like Judith Polgar, just in open tournaments. Yeah, I think it just kind of depends on what you're in chess for. Obviously, there's something nice about using chess as a way to get girls to excel in other male-dominated fields, to make them comfortable that even if they're the only woman in the room, they can succeed. So there's definitely that value. But there's also a value in the bonding and the intellectual competition of all girls tournaments that you're not fighting over things that sometimes society wants you to fight over, whether it's like, you know, who looks better or men, but you're fighting over the chessboard. So I see positives in both for women and girls. Uh, but uh, to get on uh, to another topic, because I'm sure you get asked about that all the time. I did want to ask about the work that you do in Ecuador the Checkmate Violence Program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And how do you translate that into Spanish? Because in Philadelphia, we actually have a really awesome Checkmate Violence event. So I was curious, like, how does that um, translate in Spanish? I think you're referring to the one is Jaque, which is Czech, a la violencia, which is violence. Actually, English and Spanish have a lot of similarities. Um, so the people who want to learn Spanish I encourage them to learn. The easiest way to learn Spanish, actually, I think, is like listening music in Spanish mm -hmm. or in or in, or Spanglish. <laughs> now that is very common. And then take a trip and visit us and play some tournaments in Latin America, and you will learn it. That was like a project I did with another organization. It's not like an ongoing program, but it has been done twice. And the idea was to teach chess to different activists, for example, people in education, other people that are, are in favor of using more bikes, and uh, other people that talk about the use of public space and how to improve it, and transgender people. So it was a very mixed crowd. And the idea was to teach chess and every week to talk about a different topic. Uh, and uh, it was nice because uh, we did we did not only have activists, but we also had um, people that don't engage in any activists. And they went for the chess, but then they had to talk and listen about different topics. 
and it was a a really cool experience to have chess as a tool to relate different crowds that maybe without the chess in between they will never talk or meet. So we did it was like four six weeks that we teach chess and then we did assignment and play. And I hope it will be like an ongoing thing. It's, it, for me, it's hard because, you know, I live here in the U.S., but without a doubt, I see how chess can do significant and positive changes. For example, I know you uh, here in the U.S. is very common or maybe more common than in other parts of the world uh, to talk about transgender people in sports, including chess. In my country, that is like, you know, it's like a topic you will never hear on TV. People don't talk about this. So it's very, very amazing how uh, with chess, we can we can make people aware of human rights even. Yeah, that is true. Uh, sometimes chess is ahead of the conversation and sometimes not. But I, that, I guess it also depends where you're from. Uh, but yeah, the transgender question in chess, I think, is an interesting one because I notice that there's often some kind of panic that like somehow these rules will be abused and people who don't even really identify as women <laughs> will just switch their genders. And of course, that doesn't happen because nobody's going to switch their gender so they can play in a chess tournament. But there's always a lot of panic over it. Whereas in reality, mostly it is people who are just really wanting to live as the way that they feel they were born and get joy from participating in a women's section when all their lives they maybe have been told that they aren't women. I think it's really cool. And well, obviously it's possible that it will be abused, but I think that there's often more panic than is merited. Yeah, that's true. And I think that when I have this question, what would you do if someone who plays stronger than you, person is transgender? And I said, okay, this has already happened to me in Las Vegas. Remember when we were there? I'm happy to see transgender people playing. And if someone beats me, okay, you know, I have lost many times in my life and probably I will do it a thousand times more and I will learn from it. And what was cool that I don't know if, if you have here, like in 2004, like Spain had this uh, case, like a transgender a woman won the, the national championship, I think, and she qualified to the Olympi to the Olympiad for Calvia 2004. And many people wanted to boycott her to go to the Olympiad. And then at the end, the president of the Sp Spain Chess Federation, you know, he didn't uh, let people boycott, and she went to the Chess Olympiad and was board one or or or, or second. And then uh, she's no longer in the chess team because, you know, other other women are playing better. But that actually already happened. Probably a great experience for her, no doubt. So I also wanted to ask you about um, Ecuador and just the environment there for women in chess. As you mentioned that you might go back to Ecuador later in your life and work on chess and chess development and social issues at the same time there. So what is the chess scene like there for girls? Well, in my country, sports uh, work differently than here. Uh, in my country, every chess, every federation from different sports get uh, money per year. So instead of like here in the U.S. that we do a lot of crowdfunding and donors and tax deduction over there, the government actually gives a budget 
And on top of that, you can do tournaments to get more money or crowdfunding, etc. So in that way, you know, it's positive that the Federation has already a budget. The problem is that with that budget, you know, the, we, the players, we don't know what the Federation does. We only know that we don't get, me and other people don't get support. We don't get even uniforms. And it's, it's not nice. Uh, so chess is not, it's not in the level that uh, I could make a living over there. That's why I, I try to work hard here and hopefully uh, open new doors in my country uh, with, you know, with other initiatives. I hope to have one day a non-profit, hopefully over there. And uh, I would like to have different projects. I, I'm already talking with, uh, uh, with a non-profit over there who, who helps uh, kids that have cancer. And helps not only with maybe going to the doctor or finding them a treatment, but also they have like a school where they can go and they have cinema and they have art and they have different activities for the kids. Uh, because, you know, a, a kid that has, has cancer not only needs medical treatment, he only needs a hope and needs, and needs to have a smile to hopefully uh, have better chances to survive. So this nonprofit, which is uh, called Cecilia Rivadeneira, is doing a lot for these kids. And we have been talking about uh, having a chess program over there, like a teacher going every week and teaching a few kids to play chess. And I think that would be great if hopefully in the next months I can sponsor that program. You know, I wish I would be Slatan Ibrahimovic or like a soccer player and I will have way more money and I can start sponsoring a lot of programs. But if I can do one step in the right direction and helping other people and at the same time giving opportunities in my country, I will do it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you're going to do like really great things in your life because it seems like you're always looking for these opportunities to merge what you're learning with real action, which is, of course, a very admirable quality. <laughs> Thank you. I think most of that is uh, because of my parents. Actually, my dad, he plays chess a little bit, but uh, he's a volunteer in, in the jail in Ecuador. And he has been like uh, sponsoring with a, with a chess teacher uh, lessons for the prisoners to get chess. And he has already done it like two tournaments with like maybe 15 to 25 prisoners. And uh, it was great, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, many people that are in prison will be back in the streets. And... Uh, of course, here we're not only talking about a system that punishes people that do wrongdoing, but also a system that gives a chance because these people are coming back to the streets and hopefully they can be better persons. And, uh, you know, chess in prisons is, is well known in, in Russia. I think also in the U.S. you have programs like that. And my dad thought it was a good idea. I'm happy to, to, to learn from him as well. Wow, he sounds like an amazing person. Well, I mean, what are the conditions for prisoners like in Ecuador compared to the United States? I mean, is it a is it a good prison system relatively, as far as you know? Like, what what's it like? Uh, not really. Uh, I think there is a circle of poverty and and prison, and uh, many people who go to the jail uh, they end up in jail because you know 
there is violence also in jail. So it's like it's like a, a lot of things going on over there. Of course, as outsiders, we cannot control how the system works. But I'm happy that you know there are many people, many people, including my dad, that try to do something. He's a religious person, so they he helps them to to pray to the people who want to pray and have a mass, and also the people who want to play chess. And uh, I think that's a, a quality I, I I like and admire from my dad. And maybe you know <laughs> the be- the best way to inspire your kids and your communities with example. And in some way, my willingness to do some little things is is because my family I have seen that in my in my family yeah admirable work I mean that's really amazing I mean I think that you know how we treat prisoners in our society is uh really indicative of character because these are people that it can be easily forgotten and unforgiven and even if they aren't forgiven you know you still have to um treat them like uh like people right and yes. chess is a great way to kind of like equalize that. So beautiful work. I'd love to hear more about it. If you ever visit or something, you know, you should write about it for CLO because sure, that would, that would be a really interesting angle. Um, what What's the thing that you miss the most besides your family um, in, in Ecuador? <laughs> uh, of course, my friends. Uh, I miss a lot uh, my the food in Ecuador. We have excellent seafood. And of course... Uh, how my mom cooks. Uh, you haven't tried it, but it's really good. And I am a, a very spoiled child when I go there. What's her specialty, like food-wise? Uh, okay, there is a place called ceviche. Um, and it's like a soup with a lot of seafood and big shrimps. And I really like it. In my city, which is Quito, the capital, we have beautiful mountains. So when I wake up, I can see a volcano from my window far away <laughs> so that's like something I really like the landscape I miss you know to be on Sundays with my family I think most Latin American people uh, try to have one day where you know even you are growing up and you live not in the house of your parents you visit them and sometimes even you have your cousins or, or your uncle or aunts over there so, and I'm very a very family person, so I miss those moments. But at the same time, you know, here I'm working and also I'm playing chess every week. And my mom is visiting me in December, so I'm very happy that she's coming uh, to see a little bit of Berkeley, San Francisco, and going with me to Las Vegas, where I will play in December. Oh, love Las Vegas. Well... If you had one piece of advice to parents of girls and boys um, who are trying to get a little bit better at the game, get more involved, what's something that you see people do wrong quite often um, as they start approaching chess a little bit more seriously? Well, I think that in general, uh, you know, with technology, everything changed for chess. And uh, not only kids, but I think a lot of people are obsessed with learning openings. And yes, of course, you need to, to have a good repertoire, but don't forget about studying the classics and to have a, to know the basic end games. So one advice for the parents of kids, I think technology is great. 
platforms as chesskid, chess.com, chess. But I think it's also important to learn to study with, you know, traditional way, book and board, maybe a, a couple of pages every day. I think that's great advice. Great advice. I mean, I, you know, I don't teach a lot of kids anymore, except like at special events, like girls club rooms and, you know, when I do special speaking events, but I've heard this over and over from other coaches, you know, great coaches, Irina Crash, my brother, Greg Shahadi, that they think, you know, real books and real um, chess pieces are sometimes very valuable, especially if you're playing in over the board chess tournaments. Because of the uh, the vision. Yes, because sometimes, you know, to give click-click on the iPad or the computer, and then, you know, you are not processing all the information you could when you stop, when you make the moves. And that's a, an advice pretty much for the kids, but also for, for me and for everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talked about it earlier, about how you felt um, one of the best ways to learn Spanish was from music because of the ease of memorizing it. And I think that that also plays into chess using these different formats will make it easier to remember stuff. Speaking of Spanish and learning Spanish, one thing I like to do sometimes is to look at the Spanish broadcasts of different tournaments because commentary is getting so popular in so many different languages because that that helps me with my Spanish because I kind of know what they're talking about, right? Uh, Are there any Spanish commentators that you really recommend? Spanish language. Uh, well, you have, remember when we were in San Luis, mm-hmm. uh, Pepe, Pepe Cuenca was over there and you, uh, you know, the, the broadcast of the San Luis Chess Club interviewed him. He is very funny. You can find him as, you know, Grandmaster Pepe Cuenca. It's like watching soccer <laughs> in Spanish because he's very excited. He's very funny. And for the vast majority of people, uh, he's great. Some people think he's like too much intense, but we were trying to give emotions to chess and he did it. And he has not only become popular on YouTube or Chess24, but also like he got interviews on TV because he's very, very excited of what he's doing. And I really like him. I think it's very, I'm very happy to see how, how chess can create emotions. It's, for example, if you watch a soccer game or an NBA game without the commentaries, it would be great, but not as if you will watch it with someone talking to you about the game with passion. And I think that is what Pepe and his buddy uh, Divis is doing for chess. There is a lot of people who, you know, right now are doing broadcasting in Spanish also. Luis from chess.com uh, and you know in Twitch there is a plenty of variety uh, Carlos Matamoros he's from my country the only grandmaster he also does that and as I said technology revolutionized uh, you know changed a lot of things in chess broadcasting has been uh, making people watch chess and for hours I remember when I was in Texas Tech I wake up to watch you know, uh, Magnus Carlsen against Anand in India, the first time Carlsen won. And I was waking up for him just to watch that for three, four hours. That was quite a match. Um, yeah, I think that um, Pepe, it sounds like from what you're saying, he's the Maurice of the Spanish speaking. Yes, yes. I was thinking of Maurice right now, actually. <laughs> and he works with David Martinez a lot, I believe. I think that, uh, yeah, it's a great way to learn the language. And you have a chess, uh, Twitch channel as well, right, Carla? I did it once, but I'm not uh, right now in the broadcasting. 
I record sometimes little videos for my fan page and I post them, but I'm not right now like, you know, playing actively and commenting while I play with people. I think that I will do it maybe in the future, but I know that to build an audience and to become better, you need like in everything to put a lot of time. And right now, you know, between my uh, work at schools and then, you know, the marketing and social media, and on top of that, I try to train chess a couple of hours per, per day. And I also take lessons from my grandmaster. I'm pretty full right now. And when I do something, I try to do it with all the heart and passion and time and maybe in the future. I totally get it, Carla. I mean, I'm the same way because I do a lot of different things. And I think it, I think that's really smart, though, because... You know, it sounds like Twitch is a type of arena where you really need to go all in in order to reap the benefits and build that audience. And you're managing to do so well on the channels that you are a part of from the Berkeley Chess School and your previous work with Texas Tech. Um, so the best way to follow you then would be at Aredia Carla. And what about um, any other places or, you know, businesses that we can also follow you at? Uh, okay, on Instagram, I'm also Aredia Carla and on Facebook you can find me like uh, Carla Heredia, a uh, Grand Maestra, which is Grandmaster in you know in Spanish. Uh, I'm I'm very happy you know to to share. I also share puzzles a lot on on social media. I write in Spanish and also in English. So I think it's very interesting that in the U.S. to be bilingual helps out. Uh, a lot of people speak Spanish as well here. So I, I like that. I like to be able to sometimes speak Spanish uh, here in the U.S., but of course, most of the time I speak and try to improve my English. Yeah, I love that about your social media, too, that it's bilingual. I think it's really great for kids. You know, you, you look at your social media and you see the same tweet in English and then you translate it into Spanish and you can see these these differences and really learn the language that way better. We had this uh, girls club room at the national events. In one of the recent ones in Nashville, Tennessee, Carolina Blanco actually gave a chess lesson in Spanish, which was really cool. She actually did it combined English and Spanish because a lot of the people in the audience did, didn't speak enough Spanish if she just went like full fluent. But it was really cool. Like she taught the kids there the numbers, the letters and the pieces. And, you know, they were able to learn a little bit about chess and a little bit about Spanish at the same time. Yeah, I think that's great because also, for example, I have been in a school where sometimes kids just arrive pretty much to the U.S. and they not speak any English at all. And it will take time for them to learn, you know, English when they go to the chess room. Uh, they are able to talk a little bit of Spanish with me. Meanwhile, they learn chess. And then, you know, they play with another kid that the kid probably doesn't know Spanish. And they interact because of a chessboard. And if you think it in the whole picture, um, in, in a country where sometimes politics uh, try to say, you know, um, to talk about nationalities and the difference, etc., that two kids are talking in chess because they are playing at the board is great. It's great to see how chess can can make two people make something in common at the beginning. That's a fantastic way to um, end the pod. And thank you so much to Carla for joining us all the way from Berkeley, California. And her Twitter again is 
Heredia Carla. Also, her Instagram you should follow her on and, and Facebook. And finally, look out for her articles all over the chess world from Chess Life Online to other venues as we're going to find out more about all the great stuff she's doing in the Berkeley Chess School and beyond. Thank you so much. If you like what we're doing at U.S. Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our U.S. Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax-deductible. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish I got it all wrong After slightly advantage I had nothing But my dear Capablanco You tell me We'll learn more from our defeats Who needs victory?